Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Sharon, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Where are we today? We are in Wilmington, North Carolina at the NCANA meeting doing a live podcast taping in front of the audience, which is awesome. But it's just so good to be back after COVID. Absolutely. And see all the wonderful faces looking at us right now. You know, it's kind of weird, though, I'll tell you. Usually I'm just looking at Sharon or the screen, but now everybody's Do looking at us. Do not go there. <laughs> Well, you know, it's always weird. <laughs> Shut up. Jeez. Well, we're excited to be here. We have some guests with us today. We do, and I am super excited about this. Yeah, so you want to say who we have with us? No, I want to let you do it. Oh, okay. All right. So we have Patrick Ballantyne with us today and Tracy Kimbrell. Hey, good morning. Good, good morning. Yeah, and Sharon, what are we talking about today? We are talking about lobbying which is one of my favorite topics, as we all know. And talking about your lobbyists that you use at your state level and what your lobbyists should do for you. Well, let's find out what our lobbyists should do for us. Do you know? I do, because I cheated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first, why don't we let uh, Tracy and Patrick introduce themselves a little bit to folks who might not know them. Tracy, we'll start with you. Okay, so I am Tracy Kimbrell. I'm an attorney and lobbyist at Parker Poe. We are a southeastern regional business law firm, and I chair the firm's government relations practice. I first started working with the NCANA back in, I think it was 2013. It just gets worse, Tracy. Yeah, okay. Remembering the years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was 2013, 2014. I was just coming off of three years Um, Working at the legislature, I was general counsel and chief of staff to the Senate President Pro Tem, Phil Berger. But that was actually not my first time working at the legislature. My first time working at the legislature is how I met Sharon and Patrick. Um, I was actually working in Patrick's office when he was the Senate minority leader. Um, And it was during that time that I just fell in love with public policy. That was actually the, the inspiration for me going to law school. Um, And I have loved it ever since. To me, this is the best area of law to be able to advocate for good public policy, which um, ends up having broad-based impact on lots of people's lives. And it's just, it's an honor to be part of the process and represent the NCANA. 
And, and Tracy, you also uh, did a little homework, and you were a couple of times voted one of the top lobbyists in the state, correct? I have been. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. Yeah, that's so true. That's true. I'm sitting beside of royalty <laughs> today. <laughs> <laughs> and Patrick, uh, you know, a lot of folks in this room know you, but why don't you just give us kind of a, a little bit of brief background about you? Okay. Jeremy, uh, my name is Patrick Ballantyne, and I was a state senator for 10 years, and... I ran for governor in 2004. I was the Republican nominee for governor, and I finished second in a two-man race. <laughs> I lost that race. Uh, so was out of politics for a while, involuntarily, I guess. I'm not sure how smart I am, but I'm smart enough to hire Tracy Kimbrell, or at least recommend to the NCANA that they hire Tracy. She is super bright and... Um, just an amazing partner and colleague and uh, like her I, I I've been representing you all for about almost a decade I think now and it's it's just an honor uh, you you have an amazing organization I, I can't imagine there being a better association in all of America the ASA thinks they are uh, <laughs> well w the NCANA is is strong and uh, gets stronger every year. And uh, you know we have a great showing here today, and and we always do. So yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of fun advocating for you. I've been put under several times, and uh, a CRNA has always awakened me. So I appreciate all of that. Some of you might even be in the room that have <laughs> put me to sleep, but uh, thank you for that. And uh, we. Look forward to being here today and answering all your questions. Well, let's go back to, all right, a little bit of history here. We were, NCANA, were in, we were in the market for a new lobbyist, and this was, uh, gosh, I was state president at the time. And Senator Ballantyne was serving as the minority leader, and we were having a retreat, and we asked Senator Ballantyne to come down. Where's Karen Luchasano in this audience? She'll remember she this. Like um, so we, uh, Karen and I asked Senator Ballantyne to come to our retreat and help us define what a legislator looks for in a lobbyist, because to us, that made sense. Okay, because the lobbyist has got to get into the door of each of the legislators. And so we thought that he would better have an idea. So with the board, we came up with an entire list of what a legislator looks for. And we wound up find finding a great lobbyist that did meet all of those criteria. But the question is, what qualities did you tell us then? Patrick that a legislator looks for in a lobbyist I probably told you that you needed somebody who was trustworthy and had integrity and uh, was able to get in the door as you say I mean politics is all all about networking and and who you know and people that care about you and you care about are are obviously gonna open the door and give you better access and so I think it's important to be able to have good relationships with decision makers public policy is determined at the legislature your entire 
scope of practice is determined by legislators. So basically your income and, and your future is very dependent on politics. And uh, people might not like politics, but it runs the world. And, and you have to have somebody who understands that and, and can advocate for you and, and at a moment's notice be there if, if something comes up that is adversarial to your cause. Um, and, and try and stop that or advocate positively for something that, that you want to get done. I'm not exactly sure what I told you. but <laughs> well, <laughs> It sounded good, Patrick. Uh, that, that was a, a, a lot of words. Sorry uh, about that. But the lawyer in you just come screeching out. <laughs> but you told me, basically, they can lie to you, but you better not ever lie to them. Yeah. Well, yeah, Because you obviously. will never get in that yeah, office I had, again. I had one lobbyist. In my 10 years in the Senate, that didn't tell me the truth, and that lobbyist never got in my office again. I mean, that's the way it works. You, you, uh, you have to be able to trust someone, and you have to have a lobbyist that's going to go in there and not only tell your side of the story, but let everyone, let the senator or representative know, or staff, the other side of the story, and you know, give the whole picture the pros and cons, let, let them know, you know, the weaknesses and the strengths, uh, let them know the, the merits on, on policy, but also let them know the politics. It, there's a, there's a lot to, to go over when, when you get in the door. So first is getting in the door, but then obviously you need to be able to explain things. Hey, Tracy, what, what is the ultimate goal of lobbying? I mean, you know, I mean, everybody's got their own opinions about this, I'm sure. But, but really, when you break it down, what is the goal? Mm-hmm. Well, truly, the ultimate goal is, is good public policy. And I really do believe at the end of good advocacy, everybody can win. I truly believe that. Advocacy for an organization like the NCANA, I mean, you want your, what you really want your lobbyists doing is positioning you so that you can go about the good work that you do. Um, I often say, we're just the lawyers. We're just the lobbyists. Y'all are the ones out there doing the real work. So our job is to take the pressure of government decisions off of your shoulders so that you can be out there doing your best work for patients. But it's a back and forth of good, honest exchange of information, like Patrick was saying. I mean, the first thing a lobbyist needs to be is fully honest and transparent. Our elected officials in North Carolina, we have a citizen legislature. So meaning they they need to have another job on top of what they're doing at the General Assembly. So they can't be expected to be experts in healthcare and transportation and education and energy and insurance, they need they need good educated advocates to give them the right information. They can only make a decision that's as good as the information that they are given. And that is the role of the lobbyist. Now tell them what are the occupations of the healthcare committee chairs in North Carolina. Well, so right now, we do have a physician, we have a nurse, actually, we have two nurses, uh, which is fantastic. That is unusual. Um, But I'll also say you you don't have to have a practicing background in healthcare to chair the healthcare committee. That has not always been the case. We have had 
health committee chairs who were community college professors. We have had, uh, we currently have someone who um, owns, he's an entrepreneurial, is what I would say. He owns um, some car dealerships. He owns an independent insurance agency. Um, you know, he's, he's an entrepreneur. Um, we've had hospital administrators as chairs of the health committee. So it, it's, it's a mix, Sharon. Mm-hmm. There, there have been some health chairs who truly have a health care background, but then there have been others who are, you know, I would say maybe relate more to the employer side of mm-hmm. health care policy questions. But I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that's why lobbying drives this process mm-hmm. because you might have – There was a sawmiller who was the chair of the health care in the Senate years ago. And the reason why he was the chair was because his daughter was in medical school. So what's his background in health care? So they need you, the lobbyists, they need us as CRNAs to educate them about what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that was the point that I was trying to they might not always. Well, in addition to that, I think it's really important for CRNAs to have a lobbyist because the other side does. Right. And that, yep. that might sound strange, but you have to be engaged. And, it, and the other side, if they're there, you're going to get eaten for lunch. And, and that's what happened. When I first came on board, I... I was expecting a, a pretty docile, even keeled legislative session. Um, in the past few years, nothing really had happened regarding anesthesia. So I was expecting more of the same. I was told that it would be more of the same. I didn't really know how fast I'd have to learn everything. But soon thereafter, a bill was introduced that was from the anesthesiologist. It was known as House Bill 181. And it basically said that anesthesia is the practice of medicine. And no one can administer anesthesia unless they are a physician or supervised by a physician. And that's pretty much jumping into the deep end. Yeah, trial by fire. Yes. And so that's when I knew how awesome NCANA was because we had to turn on the switch and get really activated and and the the membership got involved and and did everything we asked to communicate and we had to educate legislators very quickly um and be and very be very precise and uh, and found a, a very powerful friendly legislator that helped us but yeah i mean you just never know and so if you don't have a lobbyist that that can help stop bad legislation you're going to get steamrolled yeah and we can always equate that back to my world and money because everybody in here likes to go to work and earn money right and the students are here because one day you want to get out and earn money right no and they want to do it for free you do they well yeah. they do that now right that's well, what they you say do. you know i mean they're paying <laughs> Very for good it point. Now, so. but but yeah 
You pay to do it. Yeah. <laughs> a but, lot of but money. But ultimately, it's worth it, I promise you. But, but yeah, I mean, to your point, Patrick, I think that's that's very well received. I mean, somebody's got to be there watching your back when yeah. you can't be there because you guys are in the operating room, and that's kind of the goal. So let's let's digress for just a minute and talk about, and Tracy, why don't you take this one? Um, you know, how should a lobbyist interact with the organization, say the NCANA, or we have other listeners who are listening in other states, you know, how should that lobbyist be interacting? So the, the best case scenario is that you end up with a long-term relationship like the one Patrick and I have been able to develop with the NCANA to where you are just fully ingrained with the, the organization culture. and the culture. That's the best case scenario. Yep. Um, I will say that's what I aspire to with all of my lobbying clients. I aspire to understand their culture, understand their mission, understand the challenges they're facing every day, know the people, but really become completely ingrained um, in that organization. So that's the best that's the best case scenario. I mean, that's ultimately the goal. Yeah. Um, now, now, Sharon, I've heard you say, and this is not anything against against you guys, but, you know, there's been several states around the country that had lobbyists there forever and ever mm-hmm. um, and just weren't cutting the mustard, per se, um, and not getting things done. And, um, and the states probably didn't even recognize that to they a certain extent. Um, so is there a danger, Tracy, to keeping lobbyists around forever and ever and getting comfortable? I mean, is that something that, you know, we should worry about? Yeah, I was going to say that it's not time. It's not time alone. (laughs) Um, Spending 10 years with the same lobbyist does not in and of itself create that connection. Um, It has to be both. I mean, it's got to be the right fit with that lobbyist. It needs to be a lobbyist who's invested um, in really learning your organization, learning your role. Um, so if if that's not happening, you probably are better off to to cut bait rather yeah, than move on. Yeah, cut yeah. bait, and move on. Yeah. Jeremy, to, let me let me jump in real quick. The NCANA leadership has has been really good too, because it is a it is a reciprocal thing. Right. I mean, yes, Tracy and I have to show up. Showing up is is a big part of it. Right. But it's not just showing up to district meetings and annual meetings. It's the regular communication. And Tracy and I talk, you know, every day, but very regularly we talk to the president, to the board, to government relations teams, to advisors. So NCANA again is top notch and and they they make sure that we're engaged. I mean, I think we would. Right. But they've got that. They, well, it's they know. all about communication. It is. That's what I'm hearing you Correct. say. Because what's happened, you know, from a level being a past president, what's happened at some of our states within um, the United States, our organizations, is that they just trusted that the lobbyist was doing their job. Mm-hmm. And they just... Yeah. Kind of were not uh, no. because there was this lack of communication. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, you guys have always been really good. You interact at our meetings with everybody. You are very transparent about what's going on. You're transparent in what 
could happen sometimes uh, to a fault, even when we didn't want to hear what you're saying. But I've known Patrick for 20 years, and he's told me a lot of things that I didn't want to hear. But there are things that we need to we need to hear. Yeah. And I think I'll add one other point, and this actually might be the best measure of all. I think a good lobbyist is someone who is prepared to make some sacrifices in representing your organization. And I want to be careful about how I say this. Um, so the, the issues that the NCANA, and I'm going to presume your sister organizations around the country grapple with, are not without controversy. I mean, they simply aren't. <laughs> it's an understatement. It is 100% the right thing to do, no doubt. All the data says so. My heart believes that it is 100% the right thing to do. But there is an opposing view that is very <laughs> powerful. <laughs> yes. Can we and just say this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's doing the money thing. <laughs> and so, um, so advocating for your issues is not without sacrifice. Jeremy was doing the money thing. Yeah. So I yeah. think that becomes, I honestly think that becomes the measure. It's if yeah. you've, if you've got a lobbyist who is prepared to make some personal sacrifices um, in representing you, you've probably found a good fit. If they're not ready to do that, it's probably just well, not going to work out. You know what? You just made a really good point because being in leadership in our organization is not um, looked at as uh, favorable, let's say. You know, I couldn't find a job in a hospital for many, many years um, because they knew that I had been the president of the AANA. Mm-hmm. And so that same thing applies to you guys. Um, as our lobbyists. So you're exactly right. You have to sacrifice also. And we appreciate that sac- sacrifice to the both of you. And I can hear the passion in your voice. And, and in the legislature, being right is not necessarily no. mean you're going to win. It's not enough. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. we know that we've been right all along. Um, but that just was not enough. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Tracy and Patrick, you both have other clients and uh, you know, you're working with other folks. How does an association such as NCANA or any other keep their issues kind of front and center in your world because you're not only representing them, you have other folks that you're representing in your practice as well. And how do they sort of tailor that to where these ends could meet? Well, that that that's a good question, and I, I don't think there's a right answer. Some associations may hire uh, in-house 
lobbyist that does nothing but lobby for CRNAs. You, the NCANA has hired us, and and we both have many other clients. Right. And so uh, Tracy has has a really good firm and and a, and a lot of talent and and associates and a lot of help. On the other hand, I have a, a real small consulting company, and I have to I have to balance that. Yeah. Uh, you you have to know what your bandwidth is, and I. I only take clients that I believe in, and I feel that I can. And Tracy mentioned heart. It is, it is a lot about heart. If you can't go in and have a legislator see you and and understand that it is in your heart and you feel it and you have a passion for it, then you're not going to be a strong advocate. Mm-hmm. And so I I'm very exclusive in what clients I have. Uh, but I do have a wide variety of clients, um, sort of some spicy ones, actually. Uh, well, please tell us. Uh, <laughs> but but that I, that uh, I believe I have the discipline to know when I can't take another client. Um, also, in addition to that, I found that it's really good, as I t- talked about earlier, when you're building relationships. Because I do represent a wide uh, a range of clients, I get to go in that member's office a lot. Mm. That's a good point. And you, you continue to network and build relationships by spending quality time with that person. Mm. And there may be some times where I go into somebody's office and we don't even talk about anesthesia. But that, that connection is still there. Or if I have a client who is going to give a pack check, we may not even talk anesthesia, but they know that I helped them raise some money or recommended some money for their campaign so they could get reelected. And I have quite a few of those, as does Tracy. And so I think that's an interesting point that a lot of people don't realize. If you do hire a contract lobbyist, there are pros and cons, but obviously I think it's a plus because of my ability to see legislators on a variety of issues and spend that time with them. So Tracy, what does our audience need to know what their role is in interacting with you guys or with the legislature? Mm -hmm. So I, well, first and foremost, just to do a great job at what you do every single day. Amen. <laughs> Take good care of your patients, yeah. study hard in school. That honestly, that is first and foremost. That's what it's all about. If you're doing that, that everything else falls into place. That is that is so perfect, Tracy. <laughs> I mean, we should have started with that. <laughs> Tracy and well, I could not we got there. <laughs> neither one of us would even be representing you if there were quality issues. We just wouldn't. That's not who we are. It doesn't matter how much you pay us. That we would not have you as a client if we had to go and say there's subpar quality. So that, I'm so glad you brought that up. So that's number one. Number two would be um, stay um, stay connected with your NCANA leadership. Um, 
you have great leadership. They um, are really good already in the profession, but then they give a lot of themselves and their time to volunteer to lead this organization. So as they are pushing out information to you, I know it's it's hard. We all get busy, but you know, take those couple minutes to listen to their updates, hear what's going on, um, and when they call on you for help, respond to that because we do try to be really intentional about when we call on y'all for help. We try to do as much of it as we possibly can on our own. But when you hear us come to you and say, this is a moment where we need you to contact your legislator. This is a moment when we need you to come to Capitol Day. Whatever that might be. We need, this is a moment when we need you to send an email or make a call. That is not taken lightly. We know you're busy. So by the time we're asking you to engage, it is very strategic, and we really need it. Um, so that would be the other thing I would say, is when your leadership calls on you for those moments of support, realize that it's, it's strategic, it's intentional, um, and it really does make a difference. Yeah, well, can we also talk a little bit about the advocating kind of do's and don'ts? And Patrick, if you want to take this one, you know, when you're advocating what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Uh, as lobbyists or members or for for our for members. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the dues would be to be informed. I, I've worked with several of your presidents, and and it's not a new phenomenon. But they they all they all wish that you read your emails a little bit better than you did. <laughs> <laughs> I see Stacy laughing yes, over there. Um, <laughs> But That's yeah, the I mean, million dollar question. Yeah, how I mean, much is too much and how much is too it, little? It really is. Um, but but it is such an important thing to to advocate. And, and your volunteer board members, they don't want to overwhelm you with communications. But, you know, some of them are, are really important. So so pay attention to those and, uh, you know, and, and be there when they call. That That's really important. Like I said, uh, nine years ago. When we needed you, you you showed up, and and I know many of you still do. Uh, Tracy and I, we are immersed in into your profession. I uh, we, I say we a lot. I'm not a CRNA, but I I feel like we are a family and a team. And but there's no substitute for our clinician, and and. And, and we're welcome to come down and, there. And when we, whenever you're right, you're down there, and you actually encourage and, and that. Like, and like Tracy just said, you know, when the time comes, it is it is so important to have one of you come and and talk to your legislator and let them know what you do. And what we like to say is, it's basically easy. All you do is give them a day in the life of what you do, who you are. I mean, you don't. You don't have to know anything about politics. You don't have to know anything about legislation. You go in, you meet your legislator, and you say that I am a CRNA, and this is what I do, and this is what I did with a patient yesterday, and this is what I did with 14 patients the day before. And, I mean, it, it's real. And Well, some of the don'ts could be because, I mean, I was a fledgling whenever I first started coming to the General Assembly, and that's how I met you, and you helped train me up. You and Joanne Stevens, who who wound up being our lobbyist for many years, and you guys taught me several things. Number one, never go in and threaten a legislator, and you think that doesn't happen? You think 
everybody's smart enough not to do that. There are people uh, on the other side of us, let's say, who have gone in there and said, if you don't do this, I'm going to make sure you never get elected again. And I'm glad they act like that, to be perfectly honest, but that is something that you never want to do, right? Yeah, and I, I would also imagine you don't want to go in there and be real technical with these folks either mm-hmm. because they don't understand what CRNAs do. I mean, I know what you guys do, but don't get real technical with me either. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would imagine you don't want to, you just want to be like Patrick said, be real. You know, this is this is what we do. We care for our patients, you know, maybe try to find some commonality and, you know, go down that road. Um, but I, it led me to another question because, you know, we're talking about the PAC event and all these things. I mean, the PAC contributions versus lobbying. I mean, is there, what's, kind of talk about that for just a minute. What, are there differences there in, in the two? They are, they are different and they do need to be kept separate. separate. Can't even kiss in the night. Um, ex- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they do need to be kept separate. Um, you, you don't ever want to be engaged in what would be considered a quid pro quo or even get close to a quid pro quo. So meaning in exchange for a PAC contribution, if you're going to commit to being for or against something in, in your legislative role. Um, the PAC engagement, the reason that's important is the fundamental reality of getting elected to office is they have to raise money in order to then communicate to their constituents. Mm -hmm. It's just, it is a fact of life. And so being engaged and helping them raise money so they can then be out there engaged with their constituents is, it's just a fundamental, they have to do it. Um, And so that's the importance of that PAC engagement is helping good leaders become elected. Um, But it really is separate and apart from the advocacy. Once you've gotten those good folks elected, that's when you start engaging in the real advocacy. And going back to the, some of those do's and don'ts of lobbying, in addition to the ones that seem really obvious, like always tell the truth, know your subject matter really well, for y'all, stick to the personal. The other thing that's a big, a big one for me is have a good sense of timing. So I've never been an elected official, but I have been a staffer. And one of the things that would strike me as bad lobbying is people who would show up with no sense of timing. Like, I I don't know, let's use an example of maybe we were grappling with some kind of major crisis and someone would come in wanting to advocate for something that was on a long range time horizon, certainly not at an emergency level. And, and you'd have to almost look at them and say, oh my goodness, do you, are you just tone deaf to the world around you right now because you're coming in here talking about that pet mm-hmm. issue at a moment when we're dealing with a real state crisis? So that would be another thing is just always keep in mind that this, this issue and well, right now, healthcare really is front and center in North Carolina, but this issue is so important to us, right? But it is not the only important issue facing the state of North Carolina right now. And so I think we always have to be mindful of that broader context in our advocacy. I mean, that's how we become really good, not just good advocates, but 
excellent advocates when leaders start to see the NCANA as an organization that truly gets it, like gets the big picture of what's happening in the state and that we are a partner in the bigger picture. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. You are speaking from the perspective of staffer, which is very important. And there is nobody unimportant in that building. Oh, my goodness. And I have seen on doctor's day at the legislature whenever they would come in and they're going to have to meet with a staffer and not with the senator let's say and that staffer is super super important because they're the gatekeeper and I have seen people be very ugly to the staffer well and y'all have yeah. a great story about that don't you you uh, and Patrick actually I mean, that yes you, you yes you? we do have a great story about that whenever I was rising president, and I was going in to meet with Patrick. For um, We had been there for lobby day, and I had made an appointment with his L.A. And um, so the legislative next, assistant. Yeah, legislative assistant. So the next day, whenever I go in, and we got, we got along well. I sat, and we chatted, everything. And Patrick had been to dinner with the anesthesiologist lobbyist the night before. And so whenever Lucy told him, and you're going to be meeting with the rising president of the NCANA, he said, uh-uh, tell her I've got a meeting. I don't want to meet with her. I must have had a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just lied, Senator. I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> I didn't have a meeting. <laughs> I don't want to get in the mid- middle of their mess. Just tell her I- I'm busy. And she said, you know, I think she's she's." She might have even called me smart. I'm not real sure. But I think she liked me. But the point of the story is... You fooled I, her. I, I did. Shut up. <laughs> I got in his door because his legislative assistant made sure that he saw me. And he... That is true. Yeah. Well, you know, we had this discussion just yesterday because... Look how far we've come. He had never had a nurse anesthetist in his office. A nurse anesthetist had never visited him, lobbied him, talked to him. And look where we are today. Now he lobbies for us. And so I asked him one day, um, what made you change? Do you remember that this answer? I know you're getting older and you're forgetting some of the stuff. But <laughs> When you tell the truth, you don't have to worry about what you say. So yeah, but I, you, you said something even more profound than that. Oh, what did I say? Uh, see what I mean? <laughs> he said, a CRNA's never been in here and told their side of the story. Yeah. Well, you just said that. Did I? Well, then I already <laughs> forgot to. <laughs> But, uh, but I think what I want each and every one of you in here to know is somebody else is telling your story. If you're not telling it, and that's, that was our fault. We weren't telling our story. And he was the minority leader. I mean, 
he was, you know, a, a leader in the Senate, and not one single one of us had ever been in to visit him. So let's talk about lobby days a little bit. How many people in here have been to one of our lobby days? Yeah, good show of hands. Okay, all of you students over there, you'll be coming this year. So talk about the importance of lobby days, Tracy. So the lobby days, I actually think the biggest benefit to a lobby day is for y'all. <laughs> um, that may sound odd, but I really think the biggest benefit to a lobby day is for y'all. It's a wonderful opportunity for you to be together. You get some great real-time updates about what's going on in the legislative process. And then the experience of being in that building together, seeing all of your peers, exchanging tidbits about the conversations you've had around the building. It's just, it's a great, it's a great day. And I think the biggest benefit is actually for y'all and strengthening your membership. Um, the other, the other benefit to the legislative lobby day is obviously for the members. I mean, it's a great efficient way for a whole bunch of legislators to meet, um, meet a CRNA, um, learn about your practice, and you all do lobby day so well that I think the members really enjoy it. I mean, they mm -hmm. enjoy the conversations that they have with y'all. Um, so they're fun group. Right? Let me and let me add to that. Lobby day obviously brings students and CRNAs from all over the state, and so Tracy and I will be walking a, across the bridge that connects the two buildings, and a, a legislator will say, "Oh, do you have a CRNA for my district?" And matter of fact, yes, we do. You know, so that's really important, obviously, if, if a legislator who we just said cares about getting reelected and wanting to meet their constituents, you are voters. I mean, you can either vote for that person or against that person. And if you're in Raleigh at the state capitol, they want to meet you. So that's pretty cool. And, and we get that a lot. They, they say, have you got anybody from my district? And one other piece I'll add is I think it's also important for the other stakeholders in the building to see your presence. So for those of you who have been following the SAVE Act, one of the things you probably know by now is that there are a lot of organizations outside of the NCANA or the NCNA who have now put their names and their reputations and their full backing behind the SAVE Act. And so it is really important for those other organizations to see your presence in the building on a legislative a lobby day, for example. I mean, that is a great thing for them to see if they're invested in this bill. Yeah. Mm, they Good need to point. see that you're invested in this bill. So that would be another thing. Yeah, well, and, and we talked everybody's about always watching in that building. Mm -hmm. We were everybody's talking about watching. Uh, Good point. Some, some roles and responsibilities of lobbyists. That's one of the things that we've really worked on pretty hard is building a coalition of allies. And we didn't mention that earlier, but uh, Tracy, Tracy just, just touched on it. And, and I think that that has had a major impact because it's third-party verification. It's, it's not Dr. V. Nurse. It is really about patient care and quality of health care in North Carolina and major corporations and other healthcare associations are on board. And, and that's, 
that took time, it, and, and we are continuing to add to that coalition. But that, I think, takes some advocacy from, from your lobbying team, too. Well, Lobby Day also is just learning about the facility itself and where do you come to, where do you park, where's the bathroom, you know, uh, ladies, in the quads there, some of the quads only have one toilet seat, and that just tells you it's a man's world when you look at the toilet seats, I'm just <laughs> telling you, but because whenever it hits the fan and your president, Stacey Yancey, says, I need y'all in Raleigh. We're having a committee meeting. Um, everybody's not like Kathy Briggs. And, you know, you put out the all call, and Kathy Briggs is there every single time, every single committee meeting. But all of a sudden, you find out, I've got the day off. I can go to this committee meeting, but I've never known. Then uh, I've never gone. And then you've got the stress of where do I park? How do I get in the building? All of these little things. So it's important for you to come to Lobby Day just to familiarize yourself with the process of, okay, now I want to get something to eat. Where's the snack bar at? I mean, it's little things like that. I mean, you guys know how it is whenever you go to work at a new place and you don't know where you need to get your narcotics at it's the little things that kind of throw you off your game not the big things so just coming and familiarizing your yourself with even how to get there thank god for gps i drove round and round jones street about a hundred times <laughs> over all of these years well as we kind of what's that <laughs> I you got, got choked, choked up, up. or are you talking too much that's what it is um i can't get a word in edgewise with you. Um, but, but no, I think as we kind of wrap this up here, I want to go back to some things we talked about earlier, and that is, you know, having a lobbyist, one, how, how do you evaluate what that lobbyist is doing, number one? How often should an organization be sending out, you know, an RFP and, and so forth for their lobbyist? And then there's a three-prong approach, and hopefully between all of us we'll remember that. And, you know, the, the last thing is, is, you know, when you've got that lobbyist in play, you know, who should be managing that lobbyist at the association level? So um, in terms of evaluating a lobbyist, so I'm going to give kudos to the NCANA. Y'all were actually one of the first clients I ever had who said, we'd like to start doing an annual evaluation of your work. Really? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So y'all were to that evaluation hundred you years go. ago. So that was, um, so y'all were definitely ahead of the curve on that. I think in terms of an evaluation once a year, I think makes an awful lot of sense. Um, in terms of how you would go about doing it, I think having the lobbyist do some form of a self-evaluation, like to sit down and say, you know, reflect on the year, reflect on the quality of their work, and give you either a verbal or a written response um, of how they feel like they performed is really important. And then internally to have your own, you know, set of standards that you, you go by um, would be a really good idea. I think in evaluating a lobbyist, it's really hard. And frankly, the self-evaluation is really hard mm -hmm. because I've had to learn over, I guess, 20 years now of doing this work, you can actually do a really good job and not get the outcome right. that you want. But maybe you stop something else. Right. But it's yeah. very, it, it is a difficult. Mm, um, good point. It's a difficult area to evaluate 
um, and there's a perfectionist in me that has had to accept <laughs> that. Like you can well, actually that's why we have love done, you, Tracy. <laughs> you can actually have done all you could possibly do right. and still not get the outcome you want. Hmm. Um, but then you just keep getting creative, shifting strategies, and you just, you keep at it. In terms of RFPs and how, how you would do those for a lobbyist and how often, um, I'm actually not a big fan of RFPs for lobbying work. I tend to think if you need an RFP to find a lobbyist, you're not getting a really very good lobbyist to begin with. Um, the best way, I think, to find lobbyists is you start asking around. <laughs> ask legislators, ask staff, ask other organizations that you respect and start gathering some names, doing some research, and then pick several that you want to interview and see if it's a good fit. But if you just cast a wide net of an RFP, I'm just not sure for this type of work you get the best quality candidates mm -hmm. that That's way. That's a really good point. Just my, my, yeah. my observation. Yeah. Patrick, why don't you take the last one there and, and you know, who – who should be managing the lobbyist? I mean, you know, Stacy's been president and now, you know, we're going to have a new president. I mean, obviously we've got turnover in the association. Mm -hmm. um, you know, who, who should be doing that role? Well, Stacy Yancey has, has been the president this year and uh, actually a little bit in the previous year with the, with the resignation. Uh, Sherry Bernardo is going to be taking over. Very bright conscientious I mean your your cream rises to the top and uh, the board is really good at at selecting and, and electing good good people that that care about the organization and I mean it's a volunteer organization yeah, right and these people thankless I mean they put in thankless so much time job. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, right, so Stacey. so uh, as much as the president obviously is the head of it um, they they have uh, Caitlin as an ED who does a lot of the, the good administrative work. Um, the board meets regularly and 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 they talk regularly, and I and I think it's it's sort of a committee that that manages us. And uh, you know some some days there'll be the entire board on a call on a Wednesday night. Uh, some of the time it's both Tracy and me. But but we can tag team too if if there's something else going on. Uh, but but I think I think we have good uh, management relations with with the board and all the all the presidents that we've served with. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point. And and the NCANA has always been strong and continues to be strong because of all of you and the members and leadership like Sharon in the past giving her time and and so many others that we've named as well. So, but as we wrap it up. Tracy, Patrick, thank you for being here. Thank you for being on the show with us today and being here at NCANA and for all you do for all of our CRNA friends out here and my family included. My wife's mm -hmm. a CRNA and Sharon's family as well. So yes. thank you. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. Sharon, thank you. Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think it is. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. They like our show and want to help us grow. Sharon, how can they do that? Well, the best way to help us to grow is to leave us a review, but make it 
positive. We all know there's enough negativity in this world. Tell all your friends, share us on social media, because we're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country. And number one in the CRNA community. Absolutely. Yeah, we're proud of that. Yes, we are. We wouldn't be there without our listeners. And I'll tell you, you know, if anybody out there listening has ideas for the show and wants to get the word out there, please let us know. That's what we're here for. We get a lot of great ideas from our listeners sharing with us. I, Candy, Randy, Cornelius uh, (laughs) uh, shares uh, topics with us all the time um, and puts us on some great uh, speakers. Yeah. All right. Until next time. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.